0: I think it was Ann Landers, years ago, had a a column where she would receive letters from her readers and she would comment, other readers would comment, and this particular newspaper issue had a letter written in from a disgusted grocery store clerk who was appalled at the abuse, perceived abuse, of food stamp recipients. And she gave a couple of examples one food stamp recipient dared to buy the biggest shrimp the store had the most expensive kind and bought it and this was perceived as being just abuse of the system taking advantage of charity from the government and someone else bought with food stamps a $35 cake and we certainly had other cakes that were much cheaper how dare this happen in our culture i'm appalled i'm disgusted i'm angry In the weeks that followed, people wrote comments. And one person wrote in and said, Hey, I've been guilty of using food stamps one time to buy the biggest shrimp the store had. It was our wedding anniversary and we were on hard times and we had to be on food stamps. And we wanted to celebrate our anniversary and do it right. And I made a shrimp casserole like we did when we first got married. And that casserole lasted us for three days. On another date, someone wrote in and says, I've been guilty of using food stamps to buy a very expensive cake for our daughter who was passing away. And it was the last cake we were going to enjoy with her. Perspective changes everything, doesn't it? With that, let's look at what Jesus had to say in Matthew 7 and Luke 6. He said, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure, the New Living Translation says, with the standard you use, it will be measured back to you. The key to understanding that verse isn't just to grab it and label any attempt to bring correction to our lives or any attempt to address a problem as you're judging me. But actually, to understand the definition of the word judge there, the Lord used the word judge as the word, in the Greek language, the word krino, which means to distinguish or to decide or to try or conclude or determine or to question or to decree. But it also means to condemn, to punish, to avenge, to damn. So literally, I believe what the Lord is saying, the way you judge is how you're going to be judged. If you condemn, you're going to be condemned. If you damn, you're going to be damned. It comes back on you. But it doesn't mean if you have a concern, you can't speak to someone with that. A few years ago, I got a call. It was after 10 o'clock at night. I was already in my... I don't wear PJs, but I wear sweatpants. I was already in my sweatpants. I had to get dressed to go rescue a woman and her daughter. I used to attend church here years ago. They were broke down on the side of the road with a flat tire and no spare. And as you know, we don't have 24-hour tire repair in our town. So the car was off the road on a jack, and we would have to deal with it in the morning. So I took this woman and her daughter home on the other side of the county. As we drive in the subdivision, right there at the entrance, she says, there's my husband. I called him to help, and he didn't want to help because he just had a shower, so I told him to forget it. So he did. So, I dropped her off. Being aggravated, but not angry, the brother and I had a talk. And it was to help me understand, you're one of the hardest working men I know, which is true. The man I know would never leave his wife and daughter on the side of the road regardless of what his wife said. Leave them vulnerable to someone taking advantage of them in some inappropriate criminal manner. You know what his response was? You're judging me. That's hiding. That's hiding behind not manning up to your responsibility. In your marriage, you vowed to be true to your spouse and to lay down your life when it's convenient and when it's not. And the brother wasn't doing it, and he had to be confronted. And I did it in love because I love that guy to this day. And he totally rejected me and said I was judging him. In reality, he was judging me. He did not judge me as a friend, but judged me as someone coming to condemn him shirking off the responsibility. Needless to say, that marriage didn't last much longer. So the way we judge comes back to us. But this is not an excuse to live a life free from people confronting us should we need it. Jesus wasn't saying do away with the police and the judicial system. He was saying, the way you treat others is how you're going to be treated. Another place he said, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. So it's the way we judge that's being addressed. Look at verse 3. I think it bears it out. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? You're concerned about someone else's fault? Check yourself first. How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look a plank as in your own eye? Can we read that next word together? First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's not saying leave your brother alone, but deal with it. What is a speck? It's a blind spot. We all have blind spots in our lives that need to be addressed. And sometimes, as a pastor, due to a lack of, 360 degree vision, 24-7, I'll do something offensive, and I need to be confronted. But hopefully the person confronting me can do it in love, having removed the log of anger from their eye. Sometimes you don't get that luxury. And you just take, take it and... Deal with your speck, and then hopefully you can deal with the log. But in the ideal situation the Lord is painting here, we deal with ourselves first, and then we help one another deal. We don't just leave one another with blind spots, right? You help one another because you love each other. Verse 6, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Now, this is a metaphor. He's not talking about dogs and pigs. He's talking about people. He's talking about using wise judgment. He just said don't judge, but then he says be careful what you do with your pearls. Be careful what you do with those things that are holy to you. you know, Don't let just anybody babysit your kids. Oh, we're supposed to love everybody and God will take care of the rest. Really? Everybody ain't saved. And if they're saved, everybody saved ain't sanctified. Right? So the things that are under your authority, you must exercise wise judgment. He's not saying throw judgment out the window. He's saying use wise judgment and be aware the way you judge is how you'll be judged. You see that? All right, let's look at it another way. Luke chapter 6. Verse 37, he's saying the same thing three different ways. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. You see that? So the judging he's talking about is that damning, condemning, judgmentalism. The vindictive, wanting people to go to hell. He told me I'm going to hell and it looked like he wanted me there. Verse 38 flows right along with it. Give, give what? Whatever you're given, it will come back to you. It will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put to your bosom. For with the same measure that you use or the same standard you use, it will be used Back on you. My own grandfather, years ago, having become a widower, was living with my parents for a few months until he remarried. This is the story of his remarriage. It's directly connected to condemning. While living with my parents at breakfast one day, they got the bad news that my little brother may be facing his third divorce. And my grandfather was very old school, said if he goes through another divorce, he is doomed. Doomed. My mother lovingly, but powerfully as she can, rebuked him. He did not repent. A few weeks later, he goes to Arkansas from Atlanta. He goes to the West Memphis, Arkansas area of the country and visits his sister. While they're with her for a few days, he accepts an invitation of a woman to come and have dinner at her house. Come on over. I'll fix you some supper. So, being lonely, being a widower, he... Went and had supper with a woman we don't think he ever would have married. Here's where the judgment came back on him. That night, no one came to pick him up. This is not the day of cell phones. And whoever picked him up didn't have the woman's number where he dropped him off and couldn't come back and get him. So he wound up having to spend the night on her couch. And she lived in a retirement community where people talk, right? He gets up in the morning and says, we have to get married. Well, she was thrilled. She liked him. She invited him over for dinner. But why? Why today? We have to get married today. Otherwise, people will talk. So my grandfather remarried a total stranger to the rest of the family. And ladies, forgive me, but she was one of these really talkative sisters. We're talking magpie we Imagine he experienced some doom himself. <laughs> judge not lest you be judged. It will come back on you. The way you judge will come back to you. He also said this in John 7, verse 24. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. That grocery store clerk judged based on appearance. Maybe you do that. Maybe I've done that. Maybe we've all done that. If it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, smells like a duck, must be a duck. Might not be. It might be a goose with a short neck. You never know. (laughs) We're in the mantra series. You do not want to miss next Sunday. We're going to deal with the mantra, marriage is a 50-50 proposition. Who's heard that before? That one's going to be dealt with in an unforgettable manner next Sunday. But today we're going to talk about this mantra. Who's heard this said? Who knows this is believed in our culture? Christians should never judge. The truth is, Christians should never judge inappropriately. Christians should keep in mind that they have to be wise in their judging. So this sermon could be entitled, Appropriate and Inappropriate Judging. But today, actually, we're going to talk about inappropriate judging. Since the statement is there, it's believed Christians should never judge. Here are 10, actually, I think I squeezed in an 11, ways Christians should never judge.
1: I know to you, I may look old, hope this statement ain't too bold, but here comes the judge. 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 judge.
0: Can we say it together? Now, it really is funny to think people should never judge. My Name is Earl is not a sitcom that I recommend, but they actually made fun of this concept of never judging someone in an episode where Earl comes home and finds his ex-mother-in-law, who supposedly was wheelchair-bound and on dialysis, sees her out of the wheelchair gambling with horse races on TV. Check this out.
1: Was confident she could keep a secret.
2: Hey turns out Connie had a secret of her own. You can walk. Oh my God is that what you am doing? Were you gambling? Don't you judge me? I'm not judging you. I'm just a little surprised, that's all. So you're not sick? A fake dialysis, so Buzz doesn't know I go to the track. He thinks
0: we'll get a 10% discount if I pay the doctor in cash. Later on in the same episode, she gambles away someone's car, and her response when confronted is, Don't you judge me. Christians should never judge others. Harshly. Can I get an amen? Amen. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 1, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So when we speak the truth to each other, we must do it in love. Amen? Amen? If you do it with harshness, I don't know what the consequences will be, but it's not good. Number two, Christians should never ignore their personal blind spots. He said in verse three, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look a plank as in your own eye? Let's say it together. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What is this speck? In the Greek language, the word he uses is the word storge, which means a piece of chaff. And a chaff in your eye is annoying, right? It can prevent you from seeing correctly. But in the spiritual sense, what is this metaphor for chaff? John the Baptist said that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire, and he would gather up all the chaff. And throw it into the fire. Chaff is the whole of the wheat that the farmer is after. The wheat, he's after the wheat, he's after the fruit of his produce, but he wants to get rid of the chaff, he burns the chaff up. So the chaff in our life is those blind spots that the Lord's dealing with. May the Lord help us not to be professional blind spot pointer outers, but when it comes time to point one out, may you do it with love and with courage, having removed the plank from your own eye
2: so nice to finally get together with you, Erica. Thanks for having me. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while now. I hate to have to tell you this, and I know it may come off as a little harsh, but I really don't want to hurt your feelings. But Erica, people are starting to talk. You can't hide it anymore. Honestly, it's so embarrassing to me all swollen and it's getting so pink. Covering it up with makeup is not helping anymore. Can I just help you pull it out? It will only take a second. Let me just pull it out for you real fast, okay? Stop, you're hurting me. It's okay. You're just, you're not ready for it. That's okay. So I think the only thing left to do now is just play. So let's bow our heads. God, I just want to pray for my friend Erica right now. She needs your supernatural power to remove this, this physical and foul projectile thing that's been launched for far too long, Lord. The eyes are the reflection of our heart. So God, make her heart clean by making her eye clean. In Jesus' holy name, amen. <laughs> Don't you feel better? So do I. I know you do. Well, it was great having you over. No, no, it's okay. Oh, this is Maybe we can find some different makeup to cover it up.
0: Christians should never practice foolish judgment. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 6, Do not give what is holy to the dogs nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. There are mean people out there that are not to be trusted with things that are precious to you. Right? And so, while you cannot sit in the position of God and execute judgment on them and call down fire from heaven upon them, But you can be protective of your children and those things that are precious to you. You know, if a guy doesn't know how to drive a nail, you don't hire him to re-roof your house, right? Using wise judgment. When you're arrested by the police and they read you your rights, they'll tell you you have a right to remain silent and anything you say can and may be used in the court against you. At that point, you have to use very wise judgment what you say, because they'll take anything you say, maybe not the way you intended on saying it, and use it against you. So don't say, officer, I wasn't speeding, but I'm relieved that that's why you pulled me over. I thought you were pulling me over because I've been drinking Christians should never be unforgiving and condemning. In Luke 7, he said, Judge not, you shall not be judged. Condemn not, you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And he goes on and says, Give, and what you give will be given back to you in good measure. So, we're never to be unforgiving. We have no right to hold on to unforgiveness. Let God be the judge. In areas like that. Number five, Christians should never be judgmental hypocrites. Romans chapter 1 gets into some really heavy stuff. The last half of Romans 1 talks about what happens in a culture when people stop believing in God and begin to worship nature. And when you read it, you see America. But when that chapter ends, the next one opens. Keeping in mind, Paul didn't write it with chapters and verses. He wrote it in paragraphs. He was continuing along the same vein. In light of what I just said, therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in what you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. What is he saying? Sure, these things will happen in a culture. I want you to understand this. But don't you be participating in the same thing and then hiding behind judging others. We've seen this time and time again in the media, with politicians and even television preachers, of somebody condemning somebody for something inappropriate or wrong, and then it's not long till they get caught in the same thing. What is that? It's like I feel uncomfortable with the situation of my life, so I'm going to draw attention away from me and put it on that person that needs to be judged. Judgmentalism can be a sign of something is, something's wrong. Can't be pointing out people's faults and get by with it. Have to be careful. Walk in wisdom, amen? As much as depends upon you, walk in peace with all men, Paul wrote in another place. Hypocrisy is the practice of professing beliefs, feelings, or virtues that one does not hold or possess personally. Somebody may say they believe something and they're condemning others because of their belief, but in reality, their own life may not not stand up to the light of day. And in that sense, their judgment comes back on them. May my awareness of my own weakness make me gentle in approaching others, so that God can grace me to walk in victory. Amen? Amen. Christians should never view anyone with contempt. Romans 14.10, Why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He ultimately is the judge long time ago, I wrote a song. I used to think I was a judge, and I'd point out everybody's wrong. But then I remember there's only one judge and only one throne. The word contempt is a noun. It means a feeling that a person or thing is beneath consideration, worthless, or deserving scorn. Do you know judging can be done silently? It can be done in your heart. Michael judged David for dancing before the Lord in his underwear, and there were consequences for the condition of her heart. It also can be an act of disregard for something that should, that should be taken into account. You can have contempt of court by misbehaving in the courtroom. Showing disregard for something that should be taken into account. May the Lord help us to re- show show regard for all of our fellow men with a measure of respect. They were created in the image of God and they've fallen into sin just like all of us and need a Savior like the one we have found. His name is Jesus. Amen?
1: The pastor keeps saying things like, don't, don't
0: judge, you know?
1: Do not judge lest you be judged. I don't judge. I mean, I. some people think that I do. I'm just a very perceptive person. I mean, I'm like those detectives on TV. You know, it doesn't matter what the evidence shows or what the DNA test shows. I just go with my gut. And I got a pretty good-sized gut because I just know people. I mean, kind of like that sister, you know, that keeps coming in dressed like a floozy, you know. You can tell by the way she's dressed. She is not coming to church to get more of Jesus. Hello. She's after a man but Jesus is no one. And you know that, that guy that she was dating? I could take one look at him and tell you he was, you know what, well, he's vain. I, I'm sorry. Nobody his age has that much hair. I bet he got plugs. You know, or it's a wig. So vain. You can just tell he's a vain person drives that that sports car, I'm sure it must be going through a second childhood, number two or number three maybe. I mean come on, drive a Camry like the rest of us. Gee whiz. And you know, I mean I'm perceptive. I mean there's things that I'd noticed even about the Pastor. By the way, one of those suits that he wore recently I know how much it costs because I used to shop at that store. They're pretty expensive. I mean, I don't shop there anymore because I, I can do better than that. But I, he doesn't need to be shopping there, way out of his price range. I mean, he keeps saying give more in the offering. Give more. if he if he'd shop at Goodwill a little more often, and, and you know what, and dress down a little bit, he could give more in the offering. Wouldn't be having to ask me to up my offerings, <laughs> of course. You know, I could give fifty percent more, fifty percent of zero, still a big goose egg. But anyway, I, I, you know what? I'm just not sure. You say, "Well, you ought to give. You ought to give." Listen, I've judged. Excuse me, observed the way the church spends its money. Uh, listen, all those homeless people that they're helping—really, those guys would just get a job and just say no to drugs and be okay. I mean, they put a little bit more of that money where it needs to go. You know, it's funny. They never ask my opinion where it ought to go. Anyway, do not judge lest you be judged. I mean, i got to figure out what's going on with these people. I, I, don't, I, I don't judge. I observe. Take notes. Use my gun. Do not judge.
0: Sometimes... We hide our judging by calling it something else. Like, I have the gift of discernment. I have discernment. I've seen, I've actually heard it said, and I search the scriptures, I've not seen the gift of discernment. I've seen the gift of discerning of spirits, which is the spirit empowering us to discern between something being an evil spirit or the Holy Spirit or a human problem. An example, a guy with thoughts of suicide called for the elders of the church to come pray for him. And while they were praying for him, one of them discerned this was not a demonic problem. And this was not a spiritual problem. There was something else. And so they began to interrogate him and found out he was on blood pressure medicine. They said, can we see the bottle? And they read the bottle. And one of the possible side effects is thoughts of suicide. He changed his medication and the demons went away. Discerning of spirits can help your ministry be more accurate. But the gift of discernment is nothing more than judgmentalism. I've heard people hide behind the fact that they're prophetic. Well, I'm just prophetic and we're very black and white and we're this and we're that. Well, let me caution you. Do not allow this gift of the spirit to be mixed with your personal concepts, your personal hang-ups. Prophecy is exhortation, that's to call somebody higher. Edification, that's to build somebody higher. And comfort, that's to calm somebody down. Beyond that, it's not New Testament prophetic ministry. If the Lord really did show you something, are you supposed to judge that person? Or are you supposed to go to them and minister to them in a redemptive manner anyway? See that? Alright, moving on. Christians should never judge beyond their authority. We covered that earlier. You know, don't cast your pearls before swine, but don't be telling me what to do with my pearls. You know, don't spank your neighbor's kids. Stay within your authority. But with that being said, the New Testament teaches that when something is within your authority, you had better take care of business. And in this particular passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 5, a local church in Corinth of Greece had a problem. One of their members, not an attender, but somebody who was part of the body, was shacking up with his dad's wife, having an affair with his stepmom. And Paul said, what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? This kind of thing happens in the world all the time. We don't deal with it. All right? But do you not judge those who are inside? Speaking to the leaders of the church, you guys have responsibility in this congregation. But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Put away from yourselves the evil person. He goes on to tell them, turn them over to Satan. His next letter to the same church, he says, hey, that guy's repented. Bring him back into the congregation. So there is a place in the life of a church to ask someone to leave until they get something in their life in order. We've not ever had to do that. But we have had to ask people to step down from a capacity of serving because the issue in their life needed to be straightened out. With that being said, You're still not dodging the issue by stepping down. The Lord wants our lives to be in alignment with His will. Amen? So this is a kingdom thing. Christians should never take one another to court. Dare any of you, in the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints would judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? You may not know this, but the day will come when the Lord will use us as judges. Some Christians are way ahead of the game. (laughs) They're getting ahead of God. He will use us to exercise judgment in the way He says, within the authority He gives us at that point. But here He says, Why are you guys, who one day are going to judge the world, taking one another to court? Verse 3, Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. So here's Christians suing Christians. Paul is ticked off. Verse 7. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you should go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? Now, in 23 years of pastoring, I've not seen brothers sue one another. But I have seen brothers accept wrong. I have seen brothers let another brother cheating them pass. But they're more careful with their pearls next time when approached. No, you yourselves, verse 8, do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So he throws Christians that sue other Christians in the same boat with the rest of the unbelieving world in their sinful activities. But then verse 11 says, and such were some of you, but you were washed but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Hallelujah. So we should never take one another to court. Go to the elders of the church and resolve the matter. Sometimes a cheater changes churches. And the elders of the church can't do anything then. But even in that case, I have seen brothers and sisters in this church let it go. For the sake of their own witness, for the sake of the kingdom, and for the sake of being blessed by Almighty God. Christians should never resist the Lord's discipline. 1 Corinthians 11 says, For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Peter wrote, judgment begins at the house of God. And so when we read the word and something hits us between the eyes about our life, we are to repent because that is the judge, the supreme judge, talking to us through his word. Repent so that when the world is condemned by God, one day a day of judgment is coming, we won't be in that number. You see that? I think you got the point. Christians should never speak evil of one another. James 4, the brother of Jesus, verse 11 said, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. The word is something to judge ourselves by and something to live by and something to help one another live by. But it's never something for us to use as a club to beat other people up. In conclusion, Christians should never judge by appearance. John seven twenty four. do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Let me get real personal with you guys. One day I realized I did not like pastors. Here's how it happened. Um, We were planted by Shady Grove Church, or they helped us get organized and get going, a mission of Shady Grove Church of Grand Prairie. And we were released to be fully autonomous. So I no longer had to or got to attend elders' meetings at Shady Grove Church because I was no longer an elder of their multiple campus concept at the time. But I was pastor of a local church. I was then invited and encouraged to attend a network of pastors' meetings that meets once a month that relate to Pastor Olin Griffin as a pastor and leader. So I began to go to that meeting, and I did not enjoy it. I didn't like anybody there. I didn't like the sound of their voice. I didn't like the way they looked. I didn't like the way they dressed. And my wife was eating it up, and I didn't enjoy it all, so I couldn't talk to her and get any positive affirmation. And I didn't know why. And then I discovered once I got to know them, I then began to develop affection for them. But then as soon as a new guy, they were always bringing new guys, new visitors. As soon as a new guy would appear, there was the same whatever this was in me that wasn't right towards them. This went on for a few years in the late 90s. uh, Maybe it was in the year 2001, I think it was, actually. So it went on for five years. This struggle. I got with two leaders of congregations right here in Granbury. I liked them. And told them this struggle. And so they prayed for me. And they asked that the Lord would bring to my remembrance where this way of seeing people began. And it wasn't hard for them to dig, to find something, because I had serious peer issues when I was a kid. When I was nine, my family moved to Liberia, West Africa, to be missionaries. And that being a different culture, I never fit in. Eventually, uh, we were able to go to a private school with Americans, but I never fit in there, too. They were some of the meanest kids you can imagine. And it was just tough. And the Africans played soccer. They called it football. And I wasn't any good at that. And I wore shoes, and they didn't. They couldn't afford them. And they hated for my brothers and I to play with them because when we'd miss the ball, we'd hit their shins and skin the hide right off their shins. And we weren't an asset to their team. Four years later, my parents moved us back to America, to Bloomington, Illinois. And now here comes the reverse culture shock. And so uh, I'm not whining not using you guys as my therapy group here or anything, and so there again was the not fitting in, and it was just struggle. You know, you play a neighborhood game, choose up teams, and the captain of the of one of the teams says, "Okay, we'll take the girl. You get Latta." I'd be the last one to choose for the team, so I never was much good at sports, and so uh, it was just tough. So, so that was it. I had issues with my peers. And so being with people, I was fine. But being with other pastors, suddenly there was this peer issue. So that brought some understanding. And then one of the brothers said, I think there's more. Let's pray. Let's dig deeper. And so they dug into my childhood deeper and came across this diamond in the rough. When I was five years old, I had my first spiritual experience. It was in the beginner class I was singing, Come into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart today. Come into the stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And I really experienced the Lord's presence. But being raised in a denomination that believed you were not saved unless you obeyed Acts two thirty eight to the full, including speaking in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance, I did not have the assurance of salvation. And so doubted my salvation for nine years, actually even before I was five, just at the age of 14, under the threat of a whipping, I went forward in faith at an altar call and received the Holy Spirit with tongues. So great. Hallelujah. I'm saved. But meanwhile, emotional, psychological damage, you could call it, had been done to me for years prior to that. Not understand. You can just call on the Lord's name in faith and you're His. It's that simple. I didn't know that. So while these ministers were praying for me, suddenly I realized I was saved at 5, not 14. And I began to laugh because it was hilarious to think of somebody begging to be saved for 9 years when they were already saved. It was just totally stupid. But I began to laugh and all kinds of pain and hang-ups just fell like dominoes. Since then, put me in a room full of pastors. I may not know any of them and I like them. I don't have a problem. And I have been tested, man. I've been in some meetings where pastors pastors have done some annoying things. But I'm fine. With that being said, maybe you too wrestle with judgmentalism in a certain area of your life. Could there be an unhealed hurt at the bottom of that? So That you don't have to run around feeling guilty. Well, I know I shouldn't judge, but I just did it again. Oh, what's the matter with me? Then you judge yourself. Could it be something simple that the Lord would minister to? Would bring life to you in an area where you've only had death and condemnation? Let's pray. Lord, I ask You to warn us with Your Word today to not judge inappropriately, to not go beyond the sphere with which You've given us authority to not be hypocrites, to get the logs from our eyes and to adjust that. Help us, Lord, to repent and align ourselves up with Your Word. But, Lord, I pray for that one person or persons in this room that has tried and tried and tried to not be judgmental and yet it keeps happening. Lord, confirm Your Word to them today. That they would understand or begin to understand that there's a root, that this they're dealing with is just fruit of a root that you want to heal, that you want to pull out. spoke to you Uh, you don't have to wrestle with these issues by yourself there's people that can help you Uh, maybe you have to leave today and can't talk to anybody because you've got to go but call the church office there's people in the body that are gifted in this area to help us all overcome hangups so that we can be that city on a hill that light that radiates with the love of God without compromise Amen the lyrics to that song come from the book of Revelation it talks about the saints of God overcoming the devil or the accuser of the brethren through the blood of the Lamb His blood was shed for our sins Amen and the word of the, our testimony Yes loving not our lives even unto death <laughs> On to say the accuser who they overcame by these three things, living out their life to death, the blood of their testimony, the blood of the Lamb, was accusing them before the throne of God day and night. Now we know that years earlier, before that was written, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So, what's he doing going back to heaven, accusing the saints before God? That never made sense to me until I gained this understanding. The Lord's ears are open to our cries and our prayers, are they not? And He's a witness to our behavior as His people. But when we falsely accuse one another, when we judge one another, we are standing before the throne of God who is our witness, observing us doing that the brethren who's no longer allowed in heaven is approaching heaven through us. May the Lord help us to see the evil that is behind us when we accuse one another. Amen. May He purge out all evil from our lives and make us a place and a people of love and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you.
2: And the Lord God Almighty, cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you.
1: And may He lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. That assurance that comes from knowing there's a great judge in the sky who sees it all, who will deal with it one day. But now we've got a job to do. And we do it in Jesus' name. God bless you. Go get it.